This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Trip planning can be daunting, and one of the most important decisions you make is whether to travel solo or convince another rider to go with you. And no or yes is not the answer. In fact, the more you dig into it, the more complicated it becomes. But on today's episode, motorcycle travel author Graham Field is going to share what he's learned through the School of Hard Knocks about traveling both solo and with others. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Manicum, Nick Sanders, Terry Borden, Sandy Borden, Jack Borden, Graham Field, Austin Vince, Jason Spafford, Lisa Murray, David Peterson, Rachel, Ed March, Glenn Hickstead, Dr. Gregory W. Fraser, Dave Barr, Michelle Lamphere, Tiffany Coates, Herbert Schwartz, Zoe Cannell, Nathan Millward, Graham Hoskins, Joe Russ, Jeremy Craker, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Simon Pavey, Grant Johnson, Robert Wick, Seth Simon, Elizabeth Martin, Carol DeVell, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Google Tech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Field has had a long love affair with motorcycles. He's traveled extensively by motorcycle. He's written numerous articles and three books on his adventures. He's ridden both solo and with other riders. And through trial and error, both good experiences and bad, he's he's sort of developed his own style of travel and, and point of view of solo versus traveling with another. And often one of the daunting questions we have to answer when planning for a trip is whether we go alone or with a buddy or maybe with a group. And I think we all recognize the benefits of traveling with another. And in fact, many times you'll hear people say, never travel alone. Safety is in numbers. But there are times when traveling by motorcycle that it is an advantage to be traveling by yourself. And we're going to talk about that. But unfortunately, much of the pain of the learning process, the difference between solo or buddy travel is only done in real time, meaning that you have to ride and sort of live through the adventure and the pain and the glory to figure out what works and what doesn't. But to try to save you, at least from some of that pain, we're going to find out what Graham has learned over the years. And in the end, we're going to have some questions and thoughts that you can ask yourself and hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls that others have to learn on the road. Graham, welcome back. Great to get you back on Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. Good to be back again. We, we were talking about solo travel and sort of the, the pros and cons. And you and I have talked about this before, about the, um, I guess, the advantages and disadvantages, of, you know, to, to simplify a little bit. But would you consider yourself a solo traveler? Is that what you would describe yourself as when you talk to someone? Or do you even sort of uh, subscribe to that moniker of solo or, or, or not a solo traveler? Definitely. That is absolutely how I describe myself because 90% of my trips are solo for, for various reasons. And I think they began that way because, you know, you have an idea in the pub talking to friends and everybody's really enthusiastic. 
and one by one they drop away with family commitments and work commitments and what have you. And I'm always the one who's who's driven and determined, and I want to do it. And uh, wait, uh, so many things have not occurred because you've waited for friends to get round to doing it. And it's much easier, I find, to just organise myself and do it on my own. And it's harder. God, it's harder. I mean, the butterflies in your stomach when you leave, and uh, and there are lonely times, but ultimately. It's rewarding, and I think I'm probably getting a little bit better at it, and uh, and it's definitely more enjoyable. I, yeah, I've, I've done both, and with the right company, it works, but no, I, I describe myself as a solo traveler. But when you're saying you're sitting around talking with friends and, and you know they drop away with commitments, is that really being a solo traveler, or is that just sort of talking with people who aren't as committed? I mean, couldn't you meet up with other people that are as committed as you are to traveling, just say, and then you're no longer a solo traveler? We mean like to start the trip to sort of start off with a, a companion. Yeah, because that's, I think it's what you're describing there is people who aren't committed to the trip, people who aren't committed to sort of the cause, like the family commitments or whatever else or the business or whatever else in life that they want to do. Obviously, it wasn't as high of a priority as it's seen when they're sitting having their beer with you in the pub. <laughs> yeah, once they sobered up. <laughs> Which is pretty common, right? Yeah. I mean, people do this. They get excited about an idea that it just drops away. But but I mean, could that not be the case? Could you not connect with people who are more dead? dedicated to the thought of actually getting out there and doing what it is you're talking about and then get I away. probably could I'm in there sort of the the buddy section or whatever it's called on Horizons Unlimited where you can find travel companions however I mean the friends that I know really well <laughs> who I forgive for letting me down because they don't come on the trip in the end are the sort of people I'd want to travel with the uh, I think pulling someone off the internet you know, reading a profile, working out what they're like. I have met on the road people who have been committed to each other's company, whether it's through sponsors or, or whatever, and they are not enjoying each other's company. So when you're on the road finding a travel companion, who's whether they're good for an evening meal or a week's worth of riding, that's different. But I actually be committed from the start. I don't think... Um, with basically a stranger who um because there are so many things you know are your bikes compatible are your travel itinerary is compatible your speed compatible do you are you interested in the same thing there's one person want wide open spaces one person likes cities there are so many different criteria that a traveler likes they want a wild camp stay in hotels they vegetarian whatever and so finding someone who meets all those criteria at least your drunken friends in the pub met that criteria other than the fact they just don't actually do it <laughs> <laughs> even the first thing you mentioned there when you said about your bikes it seems like a minor thing because i've even heard people say this before well you know if i'm slower uh, it just takes me a little bit longer to catch up that creates a, a lot of problem, actually, just that one single thing, the size of your bike or, or your, your comfort of speed that you want to ride at, etc. Yeah, and also your riding capabilities. If you're off-road, if you've gone out, you know, let's take somewhere Kazakhstan, Mongolia, and you're way off-road. Now, if you're the one who hasn't got fantastic riding skills, your buddy is waiting up ahead. When you get to him, you're exhausted. He's rested. <laughs> Off he goes again, <laughs> leaving you totally knackered. <laughs> then the nerves, you start getting on each other's nerves because one person's frustrated or maybe both are frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I travelled with a guy through Mongolia for precisely this reason. Found him through Horizons Unlimited. Was a bit worried about, um, you know, dropping my bike in mud and being absolutely out in the middle of nowhere. And lovely guy, we got on great. He had a brand new, uh, I think it was a GS800 uh, with my KLR650. They were right, vaguely compatible. We both liked to camp. We both had the same travel budget. Most things were compatible, except he was in a rush. He wanted to get to Vladivostok so he could ship to Vancouver, so he could go down to Central America. And all I wanted to do was get to Ulaanbaatar, the capital. So he was just whizzing past everything. <laughs> that didn't work at all. Uh, so you've, that's another thing to bear in mind. You know, your, your time budget, have you got, are you compatible on that one? Because if you're not, someone's pulling you along and you resent that, stopping for a photo or whatever. 
When you said you found them on Horizons Unlimited, you said there was a there's a section there where people can go and, and try and meet a travel buddy. Do you, I was gonna my, the first question that pops in my head was I was gonna say, does that really work? But you obviously you have an example where it sort of worked and sort of didn't with you. I just can't imagine finding a travel buddy, at least for me. But I can't imagine finding somebody that's totally compatible with me to travel somewhere, maybe a short distance, but I cannot imagine going for months on end, especially being stuck with somebody that you sort of have to work around because you can't work everything through on a forum as far as are you compatible? No, I mean, being a commitment phobe, I am. I, we, we met um, in in Kazakhstan, had breakfast together, found out we got on great, had the same music tastes and that. So we were good in many respects. He was he was Swiss, had a great sense of humour, his English was fine. Um, so I don't know how long we travelled for at the end, maybe three weeks. And uh, in the end, I just had to let him go because he just, he wouldn't stop, you know, just always trying to get, and then his plans totally failed. I mean, Again, it's the experience thing because I sort of, although I wasn't as experienced then, I sort of knew my daily mileages, my destinations. He didn't really have a grasp of his time scale and and he wanted to travel all of sort of Central and South America. In the end, he got, he went, he didn't go any further. He didn't go as far as Vladivostok. He shipped from central mongolia to vancouver got as far as the mexican border and realized i'm not going to have time to do this so all that rushing to get to a destination which he then didn't do so yeah it's a level of experience if if, if both people can bring stuff to the to the journey i think but but i think probably my biggest golden rule which i still break is traveling with vegetarians (laughs) <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing against vegetarians. Absolutely nothing at all. However, if someone has a finicky diet, whatever it is, allergic to nuts or vegan or vegetarian or whatever, and they can't voice it in the language of the country that they're in, I will not travel with them because all they will do is sulk at the table with them <laughs> pushing their plate away and then resent you for enjoying your meal. <laughs> so, I'm not going to sit in a meal like that. I eat practically everything. But sulky vegetarians who haven't bothered to learn to say, I don't eat meat, and then are all grumpy because they voiced, I don't eat meat in English to the (laughs) the cook at the truck stop. And then you get a piece of dead dog on your plate or something. And apparently they don't like that. (laughs) So, so is is that like your number one thing? What do you do? You're going to travel if you're thinking of riding with someone. The first thing you ask is, are they a vegetarian? And can they say that in yeah, their language? Become one of the things at the top of my list. Teetotal vegetarians do not travel with a teetotal vegetarian. <laughs> if you happen to be a, a heavy drinking carnivore like myself. <laughs> okay, so if you're going to travel with somebody, if you're going to step out from the solo traveler thing, and you're going to travel with somebody, what, what are like like if we had a few of the top questions, the top criteria that you think are the, and and I mean the number one things that you think are, are deal breakers, what do you think they would be? Um, Well, I guess it's based on your own experience of what you can and can't tolerate. (laughs) Being a very tolerant person. Well, try and generalize here as far as like not, maybe not just your, you specifically, but try and think of the things that you think would be the, the stoppers for most people. Right. Well, I think it's very important to make sure you're on the same financial budget someone doesn't want to stay in a hotel when you want to camp on the same time budget you have the same sort of daily destinations and if you come by a beautiful lake by a mountain and you decide you want to stop three days that's fine with both of you um obviously the bikes have to be somewhat compatible but as long as the other one's lenient and you know the guy on the fastest bike doesn't want to be the fast doesn't want to do sort of high mileage days. I don't think bikes compatibility needs to be a deal breaker. Um, I think the food thing, you know, for me, I like to eat at the local places. It's cheap, it's good. That's what they cook every day, so they're good at it and it's tasty. So the finicky diet thing can be a bit awkward. Um, what else? And, and the language barrier, I suppose. If you're traveling with someone whose native tongue is not yours, uh, you've got to be able to make sure that you can still communicate because there can be huge misunderstandings when uh, lost in translation, which is, is something else worth bearing in mind as well. But I think the biggest thing is to be sure from the start 
that you're both testing the water and say, look, we're not going to commit to each other for a month or, or whatever. Let's see how it goes. And, uh, you know, when it starts being fun or when one of us has other ideas, we're free to go alone like we were before we met each other. So I think to, to, not to have someone who's so codependent upon you that uh, you feel obligated to stay with them and, and then it's ruining your trip. And there's probably... So that's probably, yeah, I guess that would be a, a, a thing you'd work out right at the start. Say, if this doesn't work, you have to be able to go on your own. So you don't want to put too much into it. Like, because some of the advantages of traveling with another person is sharing things. And in particular, like if you were sharing camping gear or things like that, or, or water in places where water might be difficult to get, you want to work that out in advance that you actually can separate easily. Because this has also happened to me as a solo rider, I'm quite methodical in my packing. I always make sure I've got water with me, especially if I'm going to be going long distances where there's nothing in between. Yet, when there's two of you, you don't automatically have that communication. There's this assumption, well, I thought you had water. Well, I thought you did. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. So we've got no water between us then. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this situation where you're free to blame, but that's not going to help the situation at all. <laughs> so. Well, as far as traveling alone... What are the disadvantages? I really want to talk about that first, I think, because, okay. you know, because there's loneliness and other things. So, so let's talk. What are the disadvantages of being alone? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the loneliness. Huge. Yeah. Top of the list. Uh, company doesn't always come on cue. And it's like anything. It's moderation. And you can get too much of your own company and your own crazy thoughts going through your helmet. Um, I mean, I was a truck driver for 17 years. I'm pretty used to my own company. And I deal with it pretty well. And more often than not, I'm, it's, it's something I'm in favor of. But and particularly when you're in a foreign land, when you can't communicate with the waiters or the hotel staff or anything, so you suddenly realize a week has gone by. And other than pointing at a menu and pointing at your tank and asking for your tummy and your, <laughs> your fill tank to be filled up, you haven't had a conversation. Now, of course, we've got Skype and what have you, so you can chat for people back home. But actually, that's I almost find that takes away from the trip because if you spend too much time on your social media or on your communications talking to people back at home, sometimes you forget where you are. And I think it's when I'm on the road, even if I'm lonely, I'd rather immerse myself in the trip and the country I'm in and be when I'm sitting in a restaurant, I've talked about this before, sitting in a restaurant, not staring at a phone, but looking around me and being open to people approaching me, which they're going to do more often than not, because one person is more approachable than a, a two or a group of people. So, but like I say, sometimes that doesn't happen. To, you've been wild camping or you're just, you just can't seem to catch the pace with the company you need. I remember there was a time I... I I'd, I'd been doing exactly that, wild camping out on the step, hadn't seen any boy for, for a while. And I was at a petrol station and I saw these two, uh, I think they were DR650s, go past with the aluminium panniers on. I thought, oh my God, <laughs> overland motorcyclists, <laughs> <laughs> fill up the tank quick, filled up and uh, rode off in the direction they'd gone, which was the same direction I was going. And I'm thinking, right, if I don't drink any water, I won't need to stop for a wee. If I keep a constant speed, I'm going to catch them up. I will catch them up. And eventually, after a couple of hours in a deserted bus stop, these two, um, in this scorching sun, these two bikes were pulled over at the side of the road, these two German, German couple, and um, just stopped. And then you just, and this is the other downside of, of long periods of your own company, is you just will not shut up. <laughs> Haven't spoken to anybody for a week. Did you know that? Did you see that thing back then? <laughs> so they instantly find you incredibly annoying, and they just want to get away from you. I can see why you travel alone. <laughs> <laughs> but once you've got over that sort of twenty minutes of telling <laughs> telling them everything you've just experienced for the last twelve days, and let them get a word in, um, and we travelled together for a while, it was all right. But um, but yeah, sometimes you can be a little bit too desperate for company, and you might not come across as cool as you perhaps wanted to. <laughs> what about when it comes to route finding or, or looking for camping spots? Uh, well, I think that's so. Uh, I mean, I never, I, I don't use a sat nav anyway. So the the route thing isn't so much a problem. I don't mind if I go wrong too often. And the camping spots easier if you're on the way in the wild camping. Um, the accommodate occasionally the accommodation can be more expensive. That's the advantage of having someone with you is you can share a room. Suddenly the 
hotel accommodation is halved. But as far as wild camping, I think it's a bigger advantage. I was with a friend in Mexico and we were wild camping and he was prattling around with his headlight on and getting his tent right. I'm like, we're trying to be out of sight here. And uh, <laughs> and you've got your headlight on. You know, this is somebody else's edge of somebody else's town. Someone probably saw us coming anyway. And then anyway, I went to sleep in my tent and then I hear, Graham, there's a police car outside. <laughs> you deal with it, mate. You're the one who attracted us. <laughs> and, uh, and then they kept coming back through the night. I mean, we didn't speak Spanish and the cops didn't speak any English, but basically they were concerned about us. So their concern meant that through their night shift, they kept coming back to our camp spot to see if they were all right. So that's always nice, having blue lights flashing through your tent every two hours. You're <laughs> <laughs> just checking to see if you're still alive. Yeah, you're still okay. Yes, I was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what other disadvantages of traveling solo? Um, well... I suppose it's nice when you get in those situations where you are dealing with authority, if you've got someone as a bit of moral to support, if you've got the corrupt border guard or the overzealous policeman. If you're on your own, you're an easy victim, an easy target, easily to be bullied. But then again, I've, and I always manage to keep the dummy in. I, I, I've had, I can't remember an example of where I've lost my temper with any of these people because it never does any good so if you've got a volatile friend who doesn't like the the situation of the corruption they can actually ruin the situation for you um so I, it, it can help in certain situations I, oh i probably the biggest single advantage of traveling is someone is not having to leave your bike unattended you can go in see if the hotel's got a vacancy while someone is out there with the bikes. You can go to the ATM, all that stuff. On your own, you are always or often in a situation where the bike is unattended. And that that's, can be a pain in the ass, you know, especially if you're in a city trying to use an ATM or, or something. So the security of having someone to look after bikes while you go and deal with it, that's got to be the single dis, uh, single biggest advantage of, of traveling with someone, I think. A stress reliever. That would, that would go with camping too, wouldn't it? I mean, just having another person there. I don't sleep terribly well when I wild camp. The, the money that I'm saving <laughs> helps me rest my mind. It's constantly thinking about budget. But um, yeah, every little noise outside, what's that? And uh, so, yeah, I don't sleep very well while I camp. When you've got someone else there, uh, it is nice to know that um, <laughs> you don't have to be able to run fast. You just have to be able to run faster than they can. <laughs> yeah, I know they say that about bears. <laughs> but, but so you're talking about leaving your bike unattended, and I, I think that's a huge one. Um, that's got to be a, a major disadvantage when you're by yourself. What do you do with it? You just you just do it and just hope for the best? Well, you know, for example, if I'm using ATM, I will bump up a curb so the bike is outside the ATM, you know, get a telling off by someone, but rather than leave it out of sight, checking into a hotel. I mean, I've got everything I need to survive in my tank bag, passport, credit cards, camera, diary, what have you. So the tank bag comes off always. And uh, when you when you're seeing if a hotel has a vacancy, um, and also, I tend to, I'm not a huge city person. I like big, wide open spaces. So, but inevitably, there's times when it's left unattended. I've got a big cover, which I put over it, which is fine if you're leaving it for a while. But like, for example, there was a sort of a volcano. It's not a huge walk, but it was this volcano. And you could walk up to the top and see the lather inside. You might be gone for an hour, an hour and a half. Well, that's long enough for someone to rip off everything. And in this sort of deserted car park, and I, and do you really want to carry all your valuables up a volcano in the burning heat with you? So in the end, I didn't do it. Um, but then again, if you had company, what would you do? Well, you stay yeah, there you with stay the bikes. There. I'll walk up to the top. That's always a tough one because <laughs> to me, you're a target. You, you're, you look like a tourist, obviously, because your bike's all packed up, not to mention your plates from another country or another state or whatever. And then you're parked in a tourist destination to obviously go on the hike and somebody can have an idea of how long the hike is and have a pretty good idea of, you know, what you're going to do in particular, if they follow you in. Those ones I always find are difficult. Yeah, I mean, if they're out to get you, they will get you. You know, you often see in these tourist areas, you know, little signs that say car thieves operate here. Well, all the cars are going to be very safe if there's an easy pickings from a bike that they're going to get first. <laughs> 
But going back to the wide open spaces thing, that is for me a huge advantage of being uh, a solo traveller because I love that, whether it's sort of the deserts um, in Mexico or in sort of in, in Texas, like Big Bend National Park or the steppe of Mongolia or Kazakhstan, those big wide open spaces just do it for me. The silence, the stars, the the, the tiny things that you notice, the little wildlife and that. And you wouldn't get that if you were on your own, I don't think. You wouldn't feel that awe. You wouldn't necessarily know. There would inevitably be some conversation. And that would scare off whatever little critter or creature crossed your path because you were so silent it didn't know you were there. Um, and even in, in sort of more populated places, I remember in Yosemite Park, I went off and did a wild camp did this trail, did a wild camp. And the next morning I'm walking back and there's two deers just walking in front of me, not far, maybe 10 paces in front of me. There was no one to, where to get off this track without trying to jump into some really thick, heavy bushes. And they were just trotting along in front of me. They weren't scared. They knew I was there, but I was of no threat. And eventually some noisy people came the other way, starting off their trek from the morning. And I heard their voices and the deer disappeared. So, you know, the traveling with company can detract from things like wildlife and, and awe of open spaces, I think. But at the same time, do you find yourself wanting to turn to somebody and say, look at that? Well, there is always that, wow, look at that um, thing. But um, I don't know. I still got great memories of the, wow, look at that thing. There was a an instant where I wild camped on the on the step, there was nothing, nothing at all anywhere. The ground undulated slightly. So I could just, I was in this little dip and uh, and couldn't be seen. I was maybe, I don't know, half a kilometer from the, from the dirt track and uh, absolute silence. And this tiny bush, that was it. That was the only sign of anything growing on this sort of large grassy expanse. And I got up in the night for a wee and the moon was just coming up just above the horizon. And as I was having a wee, I looked to my left, saw the moon coming up and it was right behind the bush. It looked like the bush was on fire and because the moon was still red low on the horizon. And it totally made me jump. Oh, God, when the moon makes you jump, you know, <laughs> you know, you're out there in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have anybody to share that with. But it's a vivid memory and it doesn't it's no less of a memory because I was there on my own. But it is always nice, though, when you're talking about, you know, something that you've done to be able to say to somebody, you remember when. I mean, that, that's, sort of a, yeah, yeah, that's I, a common thing And for people us. bring different things back. They might remember different aspects yeah. of a certain event that happened. So, yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, like I say, people who I have traveled with, spent a little bit of time with on the road, uh, still friends on Facebook or whatever, and, and occasionally you meet up and they'll, yeah, they'll bring back things that you've forgotten. I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm working on a, I'm about to launch a new website, and uh, although I'm not into the whole back sort of stuff of building a website, I'm heavily involved in doing the photos and the captions and the layout and the suggestions and changing everything that my, <laughs> my IT man has just already done. And one of the, one one trip which was from Denver up to Alaska and back was done with two of my best friends who I've known the longest. And uh, looking back at the photos, it's like, that was a really laddish trip. That was a really beery, alcohol, drunk trip. And although it was brilliant fun, we didn't do a lot of integration with any locals at all. And, uh, you know, I look back on it with very fond memories, but I think a solo trip to Alaska would be a very different experience than this going with two mates and drinking Jägermeister at every available moment, waking up hungover. That's more of a, <laughs> of a trip with your mates rather than a trip to Alaska. I mean, that could have been anywhere. It could have been it. Well, I think it was, we had we definitely did some things that you could only do in Alaska <laughs> and drinking Yukon whiskey. <laughs> but um, we uh, we uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. But um, I think if I went up to the Arctic Circle again around the solstice to see a sun that never set, I think I might want to do that on my own. Uh, not taking anything away with the fr from the friends I went with, but I think I'd want to see it in a different light this time. <laughs> Hey, just a quick thanks to two companies that helped make this episode possible, but we're going to be right back in a minute with more. Stay with us. Adventure trips for women? Well, you should have a look at what Carrie Doherty is doing with Motobird Adventures. Motobird Adventures runs trips in uh, Baja, California and Belize, and she takes out seven riders at a time on each trip, which is great. It's a great group size. Uh, motorcycle tours run 
for women by a woman. She owns a company. That's Carrie Doherty. She has done her own long distance travel. She's a certified motorcycle instructor. She has her first aid and, and CPR certs. And of course, you want your guide to have your the first aid certs, of course, when you're heading out on a trip. That's really important. Hey, check out what Carrie is doing. She's got dual sport trips. She's got road trips. Um, and if you're not into overnighters, she also offers some short tours around the Bay Area. So, um, you know, if you're heading out for to that area for business, if you're not from the area and you're heading there for business or visiting somebody or something like that, you should really think about contacting Carrie because she can set you up with a motorcycle rental company so you can grab a bike and then you can go on a short ride with her or take one of her longer trips and you can just learn have fun, relax, and let somebody else take care of the details of organizing a trip into probably into a time frame that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And it's one thing I, I think that one huge advantage to organize adventures. Drop by the website, www.motobirdadventures.com and make sure when you speak to Carrie, that, tell her that you heard her here on Adventure Rider Radio. That's www.motobirdadventures.com. Scott Wright is the owner of IMS Products. Scott is a rider. He's a former Baja 1000 winner. So I guess it's no surprise that IMS Products produces extremely high-quality gear. They still do for racers, has since 1976. And their foot pegs are no different. Built as if they were meant to be raced, and they can be, IMS foot pegs are designed to perform for life. And in fact, they actually come with a lifetime warranty and um, they're made in the USA. So that's where IMS can ensure they, the ultra tight quality control that they're known for in the racing circuits. And they have the ADV1 and the ADV2 pegs. That's ADV, obviously, for adventure and for us riders. These pegs are designed using a 16-4 cast certified stainless steel, a certified heat treating process. It's full on high tech stuff. And I'm using IMS pegs right now. So if you're waiting for someone to tell you what they're like, I have a lot of miles on them. They have been amazing for me, just amazing. So drop by their website and find out what a ton of riders already know. www.imsproducts.com. That's www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, email, talking, whatever, see them at a show, definitely mention you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here because you mentioned you're doing a new website. Why are you doing a new website? What was wrong with the other one? Well, I'm speaking about it on Raw recently. My original KLR, the one I've done all my big trips on, is just knackered. It's dead. It's absolutely I could throw money at it, but the whole point was to do the trip on a budget bike. And if I start throwing money on it at it, then it kind of defeats the object of what the bike stood for. I bought another budget KLR, with, which has had a lot less harder life. So that's my new bike for my trip. So the other one was sitting in the shed and it wasn't really doing anything. And so I decided last month that I was going to ride. I live in Bulgaria now. That I was going to ride it the 1600 miles back to the UK. And I'd bought this cheapo engine off of eBay. I didn't know anything about it. And I put that in the KLR over winter because I seized up the old engine. And uh, I'd done a couple of test rides on it, but nothing much. And as I proceed, I hadn't even crossed into Romania from Bulgaria. And I'd taken two spare litres of oil with me and it drank one <laughs> litre of it just from leaving my house to the border. <laughs> when I saw you doing that, doing the engine swap, I thought you were, you were revitalizing the bike. I thought this was going to be, you know, an, an amazing new bike again. But I was shocked to see that you've got this oil drinking engine well i was a bit shocked to see it was drinking so much but the, the theory the idea was take it back to the uk it can retire when i do bike shows and that in the uk i can still take it to the shows because it's a very good show and tell it's a lovely bike to look at even if perhaps it's past its usefulness as a as an overland motorcycle so that was the idea take it home to retire it was its pension plan and anyway, long story short, it was first day it drank two litres, the next day it drank three, next day it drank four. Then I was buying five litres of oil. Then I was stopping towards the end in Belgium. I was stopping every hour to put another litre of oil in it. It used so much oil. So anyway, got to England, went and saw my IT dude and said, right, um, we need to work on my website. It really needs upgrading. I want to improve the shop. And uh, he said, look, if you took your KLR that you've just got here on into a motorcycle shop and say, can you fix it? 
they say, sir, let me show you the shiny ones over here. <laughs> we can't fix that. He said, now I see it's where the you're same going with your this. website, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> now I see where you're going with this. So, so basically your website was a worn out piece of junk is what you're saying. It resembled my bike. It wasn't doing me any favours. It wasn't getting any traffic. <laughs> so... Uh, it's super cool, and uh, uh, obviously I'm going to. I'm very enthusiastic about it because it's the thing that I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and then message him and say, "Can we do this? And can we do that?" It's got a brilliant shop. So, what are you selling on your website now? Are you turning into um, you know some sort of motorcycle sales outlet? <laughs> it's everything the overland traveller needs: adventure <laughs> <laughs> cable ties. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's it's books, audio books, t-shirts. Um, and then, and the other thing that I've done is, you know, I do the box set, the the pannier replica box set. Well, now if you buy three items, like a T-shirt and an audio CD and a book, then you get the box set for free. <laughs> or, or get this: if you've got all three books and you got them before the pannier box set was available, now you can just buy a pannier box on its own. So there's all these really cool options. The gallery is amazing. Oh, oh, and there's another thing. We seem to have gone from solo travel to me promoting. I, I feel my like stuff. we should be running a little banner, you know, along the bottom. There's a call now. <laughs> This isn't a spontaneous call, Jim. I knew you were going to call. I had lots of things to say. (laughs) There's another thing. Um, Oh, what was that thing? Oh, yeah. So one of the on the galleries, uh, apart from galleries of the trips, there's one of it's called Well Traveled Travel Book. And there's pictures of various people reading my book in Costa Rica, on a beach in Miami, in Alaska, what have you. That's cool. So there's a little competition. And if you post a photograph of if you've already got one of the books and you post a photograph of it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a glamorous or exotic location, just imaginative and funny. And then you win a little code that gets you a free download for the audio book. So there's that as well. Do you want to start talking about solo travel again now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough. I'm, I'm going to reel this back in because now I'm sorry I went down this rabbit hole. So solo group travel. One of the things I was going to ask you is, do you care or, or do you sort of set things up or look at things differently when you're thinking of a particular place? Like you mentioned the step a lot as a place that is, is fond memories for you or a place that you love to go. When you think of going to a particular location, do you think, you know, that's a, that I need somebody else for this or it's better if I, if I team up with somebody else um whereas this particular location this particular ride no i'd rather do this by myself i think generally as long as mongolia was a bit scary insofar as i knew the roads were going to be inaccessible when there are no roads to speak of they're just mud tracks and when it rains it's they're impassable and you know, a bike's heavy. You can pick it up so many times and then you're just exhausted. I got stuck down in mud that went halfway up my panniers. And I just had to, I was on my own, just had to sit and wait for a vehicle. And this little minibus turned up with, with some gold tooth miners who were off to work and went through the, the puddle that I got stuck in because I went to the side and got stuck in mud and then put a rope around it and pulled it. And they were pulling it at an angle, nearly pulling me over. But I was absolutely right, reliant upon them. And then when I, they pulled me out at the other side and I showed them my map, showed them where I was going, and they said, no, mate, you're going in the wrong direction. You can't turn back. So I had to go back. <laughs> through this thing through so, the mud puddle yeah this time i knew the way to go because i saw their minibus go through it but um i that so in mongolia i was a bit worried that i would find myself in situations which i just couldn't get out of because of the extreme conditions and that's why i wanted a travel companion and had one for about half the trip uh there are times, I mean, I remember dropping my bike on a hill facing down. Now, you can lift it up with all your strength. You can only get it level. You can't, I just couldn't physically lift it up. I was on the downside of the hill trying to lift this bike up. I had to wait for my friend to come back and help me, or my travel companion to come back, help me lift it. So there are times like that when, yes, it was a calculated decision. Although I'd rather be doing it alone, I simply can't in this environment. Having said that, a complete role reversal, when I went into Iraq, I did want to be on my own because I only wanted myself to worry about and take care of. As it was, it really wasn't an issue. I mean, it wasn't threatening. People were lovely, absolutely so helpful. But I wouldn't want to have done that with someone else because more than one person, the more of you there are, especially on motorbikes, the more intimidating you become. And the people react differently when they're intimidating. 
just me, one bike, plodding along, smile on my face. I'm not really a threat. I don't pose a threat or, or really portray that. So um, that is a, a situation where I, I would choose to be alone. And uh, I think it has its advantages. Yeah, we, we've talked about that before, about when you pull in somewhere, even to a gas station. If you have other people with you, you tend to chat with them and you look like a group that's sort of unapproachable. I mean, not in a scary way, but I mean, it's just sort of unapproachable because you're doing your thing and you're all together. Um, but when you're by yourself, you're totally approachable. And, and, and I get that too. When I, when I see riders, you know, you see a group of riders, they tend to be tied up in their own thing and I, and I you know, tend to not talk with them. Whereas you see a single person, almost always, I want to walk over and ask, where are you going? Where you been? Exactly. I mean, walking down the street, you see a bike with its panniers, of, like you say, obviously out of state or out of town, and it's one person, you were bound up without a second thought and uh, mutual interest, you know, and, and ask about if you saw four of them, would you still do that? Or would you sort of, you want to yeah. run up on your own and say, I'm going to friend your biker too. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> do that, would you? <laughs> so to wrap things up with this, what, what tips do you have for solo travelers? Um, well, this whole topic uh, came up because a friend of mine who I initially met in Mongolia and uh, on subsequent trips, a Dutch guy, and uh, he in the end got a KTM and rode from his home in Holland all the way down to Cape Town, a solo traveller, very like-minded in our, in our sort of travel uh, wants and needs. And he's currently in South America. He's bought a Mitsubishi Pajero. And he's doing kayaking on different rivers in South America. His, his blog is lovely. I really enjoy reading it. I don't read a lot of blogs, but his description and everything is fine. And what he's going through right now is this intense period of loneliness down in South America at the moment. Of course, it's wintertime, so the kayaking season is over. He's found that in a car, which he sleeps in most of the time, he's not finding the company that he would on a bike. So he's really having this problem not being able to find companies and spending too much time there. At the same time, he's out in these incredible places in Argentina out on these plains and volcanoes and under the stars so he's loving the the benefits that solo travel is is offering him but also tortured by the loneliness that he can't seem to get out of you know it will end it always does but as i said earlier it doesn't come on cue so i think my tip would be and grant johnson will always say this from horizons unlimited is you have to stop. If the loneliness has got too much, you don't necessarily find necessarily find it when you keep on going. I think stopping is when you do it. Not necessarily in a town. You won't necessarily find another overland come along with his aluminium panniers. But what you will find is a little camaraderie in a village where if you stay put for five days, sometimes it's done without choice because you've broken down and you're waiting for DHL to bring you apart or something. But you find that you go down to the same grocers every day to buy your fruit or the same bakers and, or same supermarket. And the second day, there's familiar faces. By the third day, there's a rapport. And after a few days, you become a local. And I think it might not necessarily be in a language you understand, but with that familiarity, sometimes it can disperse the loneliness a little bit. So... As I said at the beginning, you know, the, the single biggest down to traveling alone is the loneliness. And it's the, the trick is overcoming it. And then actually even finding a bad companion can be a plus because then you appreciate your solitude all the more when you've got rid of them. <laughs> what else? Oh, what else? Oh, I thought I'd summed it up quite well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking like with border crossings, things like that, like in particular, you know, we talked a little bit about leaving your bike and going somewhere. I mean, that obviously is, is really the biggest concern, I guess, from what you're saying. Like tips from that for that, you, you mentioned jumping a curb. Yeah, I think the border crossings are a definite advantage on your own. You're so much easier to process. If there's a bunch of you, they have to be seen to do their job. They're going to start going through panniers and, and looking at stuff. I, I much prefer border crossings on my own. It's uh, it's far easier. So, uh, but as far as tips, I mean, the bike cover, I think anyone will tell you this, not necessarily a lone traveler thing, but the bike cover is a, a cloak of invisibility and it, it works very well. So whether you're at a hotel or leaving your bike for a couple of hours to do a little walk, it does help. People can't see it as much. There's certainly less 
less prone to tampering with it. I remember parking my bike. I was in a hotel, which I didn't particularly want to stay in, but I was assured that the all-night security guy would keep an eye on it. He did keep an eye on it, but he relieved the boredom of the night shift by playing with every switch and fiddling with every bloody thing he could. <laughs> I turned on the ignition indicators are flashing and everything. <laughs> I didn't leave it like this. <laughs> but got that cover over it, and um, it just makes it a, li- a lot less accessible. So uh, I think the single biggest tip is put your bloody phone away. Do not relieve your loneliness by staring at your phone because it is not going to bring company your way. If you're sitting in a restaurant or particularly in a restaurant, but any public place, do not relieve your boredom by Facebooking or WhatsApping or Skyping. But put the phone away, look around you, look at customers, listen for conversation, look at the sites. You've traveled to look at the sites, look around you at the street traffic, at the people, at the pedestrians, whatever. And you will then be more aware of the people around you and you will be more open to people approaching you because someone staring at a phone is not approachable. So put the phone down. Mm, That's a really good tip. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that because you, otherwise you look busy and no one's going to bother talking to you. You don't make eye contact. You don't catch people's eye and give them that moment of connection where they can look at you and, and think, I'm going to ask this guy a question. Absolutely. And anyway, you did go to see the sights. You don't need to be staring at that screen. Escape the screen. I've, I've got a huge problem with it at the moment. I'm getting more and more annoyed at phones and people's addictions to them. I, if there's any advantage to it, it makes me realize my own usage of my phone and I keep the thing put away as much as possible. But you see so many people. I recently did a, a little European trip, a, tour, a total tourist trip with my mum in, in Paris. And the selfie sticks and and everybody's on the phone. They, they, everybody's doing it to tell everybody that they're doing it, but not to actually witness the event of doing it. <laughs> just seems ridiculous. I'm just sound like a grumpy old bastard now, I'm sure. I mean, obviously there's advantages to it. I still find it. It's just so damn easy to travel now. You get Wi-Fi when you're ready to stop in a little restaurant and you go on booking.com and you find a nearby hotel and you find something in your price range. There's no riding around towns anymore, trying to find a hotel sign, leaving your bike unattended, knocking on doors, trying to convey that you want a room. Nope, you just go up with a booking number now. <laughs> It's like, God, this travel thing's got easy. <laughs> and the other thing is, of course, with that, and this is why I don't like um, with sat-navs, is, again, you lose the opportunity to communicate with locals. Whenever I am lost or, or unsure of my whereabouts, I have to ask a local where I am. And that's communication. That's the sort of memories that stay with you. When you've got a box that tells you where you're going, when you've got another box that books your hotel for you, that's communication you're not getting. So, and the trip is all about the people you meet, the conversations you have. So it does make it easy, but it takes away a lot of the memorable meetings and the, the crossings of paths that you that you would normally have without these electronic time-saving devices. It's a thin line when you're knackered at the end of the day. It's so easy to have a ho- find yourself a hotel. You're sort of riding around a town for two hours, sweating like hell, knocking on doors that are full up, overpriced, won't accommodate, you don't <laughs> like bikes, whatever. Uh, Graham, great to talk to you. And of course, we, we should send everybody to check out your, your new website and hopefully that'll be up by the time this airs, which is... That was the plan, much to the uh, annoyance of my eye tight teeter. How many days? <laughs> Can I do one more little plug promotion ask question thing, yeah, please, Yeah, okay, go for it. What do you have? Well, I'm going to be coming to the States in the middle of September. I'm going to Denver, and then I'm riding across California for the Horizons Unlimited uh, meeting there. And I've got a few presentations booked on my way there oh, and nice. back. But I've got some spare time and some spare... Um, uh, well, time basically. So, if anybody um, has a club or knows of a shop or somewhere that likes people to do presentations, I would love to entertain you with my stories and uh, inform you with my wisdom. So, if anybody uh, has any openings for that from mid September till beginning of October, I'd be totally into doing that anywhere between Denver and, and Yosemite Park. <laughs> oh, very cool. Wow. That's, that would be good because you haven't been there, as you said. You haven't done this before. So um, as far as toured the, the U.S. doing presentations, so that would be a, a brand new presentation. Now, are you taking a bike with you or do you take equipment with you? Yeah, because I've got my 
I've got my KLR that sits in my friend's goat shed in Denver, so I haven't used it for three years. So new tires, chain sprocket, and uh, put that on and head west. And off you go. And you're on the road for how long? Uh, about two and a half weeks. And you're just in the U.S.? Are you going to Canada, Mexico? No, it's a pretty short trip, Jim. Um, get there about the uh, really middle of September, about the 15th, and leave on about the 5th of October. So... Uh, very cool. Well, if you want to book Graham Field for a presentation, and I guess just uh, go to your website and they can contact you through there, grahamfield.co.uk. That's right. And there's a special contact thing. <laughs> this is very impressive. I hope this is really going to be an impressive site when I go to this and look at it because, you know, as I said, I'm traveling. I'm not going to waste data on it right now. But, yeah, but when I get to Wi-Fi and look at this thing, I really hope I'm blown away, Graham. Otherwise, I'm going to, I'm going to be complaining. I'm in danger of overhyping it, I know, but I really like well when we when we sat down and looked at templates, we were right, right, I need to find a website as an example, right? Who does good websites? We looked at the Apple iPhone X. It's like, well, Apple know a little thing about advertising. The Apple iPhone X website was just white a white background and these stunning images of the phone. I said, like, I want my website like that. So um, <laughs> Great talking to you, Graham. I'm going to talk to you next time on Raw. Oh, I'm not very far away. We are. Yeah. Okay. I'll speak to you in a few days then. Thanks, Graham. Thanks. Bye. I've been speaking with motorcycle travel author Graham Field. You can find out more about Graham by visiting his brand new website at www.gramfield.co.uk. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this and what we do here. And if you'd like to help out, which we would really hope you would, um, if you like what you're hearing here on Adventure Rider Radio, we built this on a design of um, some advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. You can drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the support button. Um, anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more will get you a mention on our Raw show, which comes out once a month. Separate show, by the way. Subscribe separately for that. And then we have an episode coming out, I think, next week for, for Raw. Um, and also, we have our patron account that we've signed up for, which is monthly support. And we would love it if you would consider doing that. Just drop by there and you can put any amount on, a dollar, five dollar, twenty dollar, five hundred dollars. No, I'm kidding. Um, but any amount um, would help and uh, that would go towards us monthly. And then we can depend on that and we can sort of count on uh, the money coming in and then put our concentration into content, producing content for you. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike. Thanks very much for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. See you next week. I'm Woody from Woody's Wheelworks, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 